and well, we were, but the Lord changed my mind about halfway through the day. This is a message that I've been wanting to preach a long time, but you write sermons a lot of times as they come to you, but you can't really deliver them until the Lord gives you the, the, the unction to do so and makes you feel it's the right time to do so. And I got home with them and I said, you know what, tonight is the night I feel like preaching that message. So we're going to be in, in Ephesians chapter 1. Ephesians chapter 1. Um, Ephesians chapter 1 has a lot of really good, deep Bible topics in it. And that's one reason I love it. It is so rich in doctrine. And, and, and I think it's important for us to be well studied in biblical doctrine and be able to, uh, they call it apologetics, be able to defend our faith when people question of why we believe certain ways about things or, or why we believe this about that. Um, and a part of that is really getting deep and digging into God's Word. Tonight's message may be um, a little more of a Bible study style format than a, a, a uh, real fiery sermon or anything, but that's okay too if that's in God's will. So we're going to be in the book of Ephesians chapter 1, and we're going to kind of go a little bit verse by verse through this as we look at it. And what this is, Paul is writing here to the church of Ephesus. And as he writes to the, the church of Ephesus, uh, uh, Paul is, is speaking to them here in this first part about the spiritual things we receive through Christ. And I feel this really connects into our Sunday school lesson a little bit as we look at the authority that Jesus has to forgive sins. We see here starting in chapter 1, verse 1 of the book of Ephesians, it says, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the will of God, to the saints which are at Ephesus, and to the faithful in Christ Jesus, grace be to you and peace from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. It says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who hath blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ. As we look at that verse 3 there, it, t- it talks about it says, Blessed be the God. And then they're saying, Praise God because He blesses us. Because we are blessed from God, we should bless God also with our praise. The proper response to receiving a blessing is always praise. It does not have to be a large theatrical shouting or hollering or anything of that nature. But as we said in this morning, God should receive the glory from what we have. And we will sometimes uh, do this, as we said this morning, physically, but we need to do this when we receive spiritual blessings as well. You see, these blessings that it is talking about here, as it says they are in heavenly places, Paul is not speaking of the car and the house and the big fancy job and even the health or prosperity. He is speaking of spiritual blessings that we all that are born again should be receiving. And these blessings are located in heaven. They are nothing we can physically touch here on earth. There are things like our heavenly citizenship. We sing the song, this world is not my home, I'm only passing through. Because I am saved, my citizenship is in heaven. Yes, I'm an American citizen. Yes, I live in West Virginia and I'm thankful to do so. But I am much more thankful that when my bounds of this earth are broken free, my citizenship will be for eternity in heaven. No one can touch it. It can't be disturbed. It can't be ruined. I can't be deported from there. It is permanent. I also received my priesthood in heaven. That means I can go to God. You can go to God one-on-one. You don't have to go to the pastor and say, Pastor, I need you to do pray this, this, and this. It's fine to do that, 
because more the merrier. However, you can go to God on your own as a Christian and that is restored to you in heaven because Christ is sitting at the right hand of the Father. When we pray, we have an advocate there, which is Christ Jesus. Not just the pastors, not just church leadership, but anyone who is saved. And again, it's in heaven. You can't touch it. No one can disturb it. We have hope in heaven. My hope is not in this world. I have not received uh, enough in this world to to write a book on. I I don't have that much physical material possessions, yet my hope is in the the life to come. Um, I may live a life of of troubles while I'm here, but that's okay because it is a smidge of time compared to the eternity over there. We are not saved and born again and trusting our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ on cause of Him pouring out the physical blessings. We are saved and born again because of the spiritual blessing that is to come. That's the one promise we have from Jesus. Not that life will be easy here. It could be easy here, but we are promised that life will be perfection over there for all born again believers. We also have an eternal inheritance that is waiting over there. We are co-heirs with Christ Jesus. I will inherit Everything that Christ inherits stored in heaven. It's nothing that mankind can touch or ruin. Man, if someone gets mad at me, they can come to my house and burn it down. They can go along and bust the windows out of my car and key it or cut the tires. They could physically harm me or someone I love. They could do all kinds of things to the physical. But the spiritual, they can't do nothing about. God gave me that. You see, we receive these things, as the verse says, they're only through Christ. It is not because I'm a pastor. It is not because I am good because those were the things I'm not good all the time. I couldn't keep it that way. Uh, I don't receive them because I don't sin very much. I receive them through Jesus Christ. When Christ died on the cross for my sins, I place my faith in Him and become a child of God, become one with Christ. God gave me these spiritual blessings all by grace, all through His mercy. You see, a lot of times we get really big on ourselves and big on talking about, well, I don't, I don't smoke, I don't drink, I live a pretty good sinless life, I guess, so God gives me all these things because I do those things. Not so. He gives you those things through grace. You cannot earn a spiritual blessing from God. Me and you aren't good enough. Me and you aren't sinless enough. Me and you aren't righteous or holy enough. But God gives it to us by His Grace. Verse 4 tells us, it says, According as He hath chosen us in Him, that's Christ, before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before Him in love. It always points back to Him, not us, Him, because it's not about us, it is about Him. It tells us here that we are chosen believers. Now, a lot of churches don't like to preach on this because you've got to really dig deep to get the meaning behind some of this stuff. It's not at face value, and it goes against what a lot of people want to preach. Because a lot of people say, well, you know, just choose Jesus. Whenever you want, just choose Jesus. And it's a falsehood. we got people waiting for that last breath that they can just wait to the very end and say, all right, at this moment I choose Jesus and I'll go to heaven. But that's not what the Bible tells us. It tells us here that according as He hath chosen us in Him, Now, we are chosen in Christ. As we are chosen in Christ, we are chosen by God. And we are chosen not at the altar. We're not chosen at the baptistry. We're not chosen in the water. We're chosen before the foundations of the world. Now, some people that bother for me, that's a great comfort to know. Because that means before this world was ever formed, Christ chose me. 
before he I ever breathed the breath of air. And we say, well, how could he do that? Well, he knew Jeremiah before he was even in his mother's womb. God knows all things. He doesn't have spiritual amnesia. He is not surprised when you get saved. He is not surprised when he, with anything you do because God knows all things. God's in all places. Not only is He in this church, He's in all the churches up and down the road that teach His Word. He's in your house. He's in the hospital rooms. Anywhere that two or more gathered in His name, He said He will be in the midst. Anywhere that the believers is, God is. God is everywhere. And as God is everywhere, God is in all times. God is in the past. God is in the present. God knows the future. If He didn't know the future, He couldn't have uh, given Paul and give John, I mean, the book of Revelation. As He gave John the Isle of Patmos, He told John everything was going to happen up to the time of eternity. How does He know? Because He is in all times. In fact, if we look at the book of Romans, chapter 8 and verse 29, He explains this more fully. Romans 8 and 29 tells us, It explains what his decision, his choosing is based upon. Romans 8, 29 says, For whom he did foreknow, he also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. Moreover, whom he did predestinate, them he also called. Whom he called, them he also justified. Whom he justified, them he also glorified. What shall we then say to these things? If God be for us, who can be against us? Let's get back to 28 and include that in as well. And it says, And we know all that all things work together for the good of them that love God and who are called according to His purpose. So as we are chosen, we're chosen based upon the foreknowledge of God. We're chosen based on what the Lord knows we will do with Jesus Christ. We are chosen based upon the will of God. We are chosen to be selected for the purpose of God. You see, our life should be God-centered. It is Our life should not be about us. It should be about Him. Because this universe was created by God. It is for the purpose of God. And you as a child of God, your whole purpose is to serve God. But again, many times we get it backwards. We want to make it about us. Too many times we think about church. We think about us. How can the church serve the people in the church when the church needs to be serving God? Not just the, unit, the church as a whole, but the church as the individual. Because the individual church member serves God, then the church as a whole serves God. Everything falls into place. Why? Because we are chosen. If He chose us, we in turn with our service should choose to serve Him. You see, we see here we are, we are chosen. We're chosen for the foundation of the world. What are we chosen to do? We are chosen to appear holy and blameless before Him. Why do we appear holy and blameless? It's not because... I have lived so much better since I got saved. I am not sinless. I do sin a whole lot less now because God has started to work in me and He's continually worked in me and I will have to repent today as I repent tomorrow as I repented yesterday because God is molding me into the vessel He wants me to be. But even with that, I am not blameless in the sight of God, not because of Justin. But I am blameless in the sight of God because when God sees me, He sees His Son, Jesus Christ, which is applied to me. You see, our salvation comes, our, our, our innocent judgment comes because of who Christ was, because Christ was sinless. No man since, no man before. When you hear a Christian, and I use air quotes because that label's thrown around really a lot. It's kind of like when teenagers say, I love you, it don't mean a whole lot anymore. The, the title Christian sadly does not mean a whole lot anymore. And when you hear a Christian that says, well, I don't really need to pay, 
pray for forgiveness because I don't do anything wrong. Well, then they're liars. They don't know the Lord because the Lord, He whips me quite often for my sins and He corrects me quite often when I do wrong. And if I never thought I'd done wrong, then I probably don't have much Christ in me because I would see the error of my ways. He shows them to me. It's not in His best interest to let us remain in sin. The Bible tells us that we all sin. We all fall short of the glory of God. We are all a bunch of messed up failures just trying to get figure this stuff out together. That's really what we are. And all our goodness, all our purity, all comes through Christ. Now we get into, Paul gets into a, a, a bunch of spiritual blessings here in these next few verses. Verse 5 shows us that our first blessing we receive is we've been adopted. You know, when we talk about adoption, adoption is not just a, a, uh, like a dating relationship that's maybe temporary. And sadly, even in today's world, uh, most relationships that we think of is temporary. However, our children, my two children, will always be mine. They are mine. They are my name's on that birth certificate. They are part of me. They're part of my life. They will always be Justin Basin's son and daughter. They will inherit whatever I have left to give them, which right now may be a, a, an acoustic guitar and a cavalier. That may be all they get, but they'll get whatever I got. And that's theirs because they inherit what comes from me. The Bible says in verse 5, "...having predestinated us into the adoption of children by Jesus Christ to Himself, according to the good pleasure of His will." God predestinates us to be adopted. And that's beautiful because he not only is He going to make a contract with us, not only is He going to have ownership of us, we're going to have a relationship with Him like a father and a child now. Now if you go down to the adoption center to adopt a child and you sign the paperwork in America to adopt that child, and things don't work out, a lot of times that child can go back from whence it came. However, under the Jewish tradition, that was not the way life went. Under the Jewish tradition, if you were adopted, it was permanent. Under Roman law, it was a complete legal way to transfer an inheritance. If we look back at the, uh, the Old Testament, uh, Abraham, when Abraham was not sure about receiving an heir, he was going to adopt a child to receive his inheritance. It's the same thing with this. When that adoption is made, it permanently transfers what Christ receives also to me and you. When God adopted me, I received every, all the rights and privileges to being a son of the Lord. Everything along the way. I get complete access to Him. I get I, everything when, when this world comes to an end. I'll receive every single thing He has and I'll be a co-heir with Christ. That's very humbling for me to think about. That everything that Christ, my Savior, is receiving, I also receive because I am also a child of God. Well, he is not only my Savior, He is also my brother, spiritually speaking, because we all come from Father God. You see, He does not do this again because that we are, are good or because that we were something special to purchase. He does this because of His grace and His good pleasure and His will. You see, God looked down upon His wretched creation that we were and saw fit through His own will, His own grace, to make us His children. When we look at children today in the world through our fleshly eyes, there are some we wouldn't want to adopt. We say, man, they got faults, they got all kinds of problems. That one there, he's got some, got some issues. I just, you know, I don't know about that. Um, however, God looked at us with all of our issues, and let's face it, we all got them, and said, you know what, I'll adopt them anyways. That's a lot of love right there. To have for, for creatures that were just sinning against him willfully, that wanted nothing to do with him. We enjoyed being sinful. 
Being sinful felt good to the flesh, and yet God adopted us anyways. That's a wonderful... Uh, when the Bible talks about being patient and long-suffering, that's definitely showing His patience and long-suffering. Verse 6, the next spiritual blessing we get is grace. It says, To the praise of the glory of His grace, wherein He hath made us accepted in the Beloved. The purpose of all of him doing this, you notice again and again, and it's, it's several times where it says him, he, himself, his will, his grace. It always talks about him with being the one giving and us being the one receiving. This is where we see a later on in Ephesians where it talks about no man being able to boast about their salvation. The only reason you ever come to God is because God drew you first. The only reason you love God is because He loved you first. Christ receives all the glory for our salvation. He receives all the honor for it. And it is all for His glory. There is nothing we can do to brag about it. And, and sometimes we hear people make the statement, Well, well you know, I, I, I found the Lord. You never found the Lord. He found you. He was never lost. He's been in heaven all this time. What looking down upon you? And one day he reaches down to that old wretched sinner and chooses to save you. There was a, a Dr. Oliver Green was on the radio this evening, this morning after church as I was driving toward Chapmansville. And he was talking about young people and old people. And he says a person re gets closer and closer to death it is only common for it to be harder and harder for that person to get saved. What can a when when a person is in their their nineties and then they attempt to come to Christ, it they have spent most of their life putting a stiff arm out to God, keeping trying to keep him at a distance. And then at that late moment in life, they suddenly want to open themselves to them when they have very little time left to dedicate toward God. And there's a lot of truth in that. When our children get saved at a young age, 21 or younger, or, or even maybe 30 and younger, they have a whole lifetime devoted to God's service. Yet as time marches on, there is less and less and less. Even when I was saved in my mid-twenties there, there was still less I could do at that point than if I had got saved at 15 and was in high school and could reach more people. And I wasn't very old in the eyes of man. However, in the, the process of ministry, there was still a lot less I can do. It doesn't mean there is nothing you can do. But it means we are playing Russian roulette sometimes, trying to put God off to a later date. When we need to just accept Him when He calls us that first time, as we are not guaranteed a fourth, fifth, sixth, and seventh. Verse 7 shows us we could receive redemption through Jesus Christ. It says, In whom we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of His grace. Redemption refers to a slave being set free. You see, we were slaves to sin. We were in bondage. There was a price had to be paid. If you look at the, uh, the slaves of, in American's history or in the Israelites or anytime we have slavery in history, uh, the slave master did not set them free just because they felt good about it. They set them free because a price had to be paid. It's no different for you and I. When we get saved and we were set free, a price was paid and the price was the blood of Jesus Christ. When that blood was shed on Calvary and we accept that as atonement for our sin, a price was paid and we are set free from the bondage of sin. 
when we sin as a Christian, it's very different than sinning as a lost person. When we sin as a Christian, we have a Holy Spirit directing and guiding us. We are not to be in bondage to that. I've made the description here before. It's in the cartoons. When you see the Looney Tunes, you have an angel on one shoulder and the devil on the other. When you are lost, you just have that devil telling you it feels good. Just do it. As the old Nike saying was, but when you're a Christian, there is a war going on inside you. The outward man battling the inward man and back and forth over the, the possession of what your actions are. As Christians, if we choose to follow God and follow the Spirit, we can shun sin. Doesn't mean we'll ever do it perfectly because we're apt to fail. But we have the ability to overcome through the Spirit that is within inside us. We're also set free. We are redeemed from the wrath of God. When we are raptured out of here, I don't have to face that time of tribulation. I don't have to go through that life. Those that are lost and unsaved and have never been set free, they're going to face the very wrath of God on this earth. They're going to go through the starvation, the desolation, the destruction, everything that goes through them seven years. And not only that, but a time is going to come when they face God in judgment if they don't repent and place their faith in Jesus Christ, in which they will be found uh, their name will not be found in the Lamb's book of life. They'll be cast into the lake of fire. All because they have never been redeemed. They've never been set free. They've never been purchased. And the price was paid for them. And when you talk about people back in debtor's prisons, their family had to go out and save money and find ways to set them free. I don't have to set my family free. I can't set my family free. But Jesus Christ done everything to set the whole world free if they're just willing to repent and believe on Him. You see, when that price was paid, our sin was transferred. Our possession of our sin went to the cross, went to Calvary. When we were, when we were saved, when the moment I placed my faith in Christ, that sin debt that was upon me was transferred to Christ on the cross, and it was judged on the cross that day on Calvary. And the price was fully washed away. You think back to when people uh, used to run credit in stores, and they had a, a marker to have your name and how much you owed on it. Well, that's how our sin debt is. You have yourself spiritually, you have you know, all everything you've ever done, the Lord knows about. He's not deceived by anything. He knows everything you've done. But the minute you place your faith in Christ, you just take your hand and wipe that debt away. It's gone, past, present, and future. You don't owe a thing for your sin no more. Again, all because Christ paid the price. Verse 8 and 9 tells us, Wherein he hath abounded toward us in all wisdom and prudence, having made known unto us the mystery of his will, according to his good pleasure which he hath purposed in himself. The next thing we get is his wisdom. You know, there's a difference between having worldly wisdom and having godly wisdom. There are plenty of people in this world who have good worldly wisdom. They can recite books. They may memorize the Constitution and all these documents. They can tell you all kinds of things about worldly things. And they may even know the Bible far as the literature of it, the history of it, the Jewish nations and all these things. However, they don't have God's sovereign wisdom. Certain things in this world are kept hidden from us. And as we think about Paul in the Bible, talks about when he is saved, it said a, a, a film fell for his eyes. Spiritually speaking, when we are saved, it's almost like a film falls from our eyes. And so many things that we didn't understand, that we thought we knew everything about, is revealed to us. 
God shows us the mysteries of grace and mercy and we see a loving God that we never quite knew or understood before. And I can't say that I know everything in this Bible. I will never know everything in this Bible. It's a living word. Every time I read it, I gain something new. But what I do know is once I was saved, the Spirit showed me so much more than what I knew when I was lost. Took college Bible classes and I learned all kinds of factual information about things. I knew people, lineage, histories, uh, family trees, all kinds of good biblical knowledge. But yet there was so much spiritually that was still hidden from me that I just couldn't understand. But God is revealing them to me as I need them. If you don't understand something and you're a Christian, I can guarantee if you pray and I say, Lord, just let me see this for what it is, and you get in your word, He will show you things that you just never could imagine. You may have read a verse a thousand times and didn't mean nothing to you. And suddenly you pray and say, Lord, I just don't get this. You read through it a few more times and all of a sudden it's just like a light pops on. And it's God. The Spirit is speaking to you. It is showing you what you need to know. You see, that knowledge can only be received to us by God. That is another reason why in churches you cannot have lost people preaching and teaching the Bible. It can't be done. It's not that they're bad people. It's not that they're, they're not loving individuals that may give the shirt off their back. It's that they are not spiritually discerned because they don't have the Spirit within them. It's just the way things are. Until you have the Spirit, you cannot understand these things. People, a doctor goes off to college and he gets a degree that says he can practice medicine. Well, when you receive the Spirit of God, it says you can practice ministry, whatever He calls you to do. And everyone's calling is different, but you need that Spirit in there that God gives you so you can receive the wisdom to do His will. You see, He gives all this because of His divine plan. The reason He reveals stuff to us is so we can share it with others. So we can grow in our knowledge of our Lord. So we can be better Christians, be a stronger church, be more on fire for God because of what we understand that God has given us. We look into verse 10. It says, "...that in the dispensation the fullness of times He might gather together in one all things in Christ." both are which in heaven and which are on earth, even in Him. Now he's speaking of here of this millennial kingdom that is to come the fullness of time. You see, the, tenth, the next blessing we receive is universal reconciliation. The whole world. You watch the news today, the whole world is at war with each other. They may not have active boots on the ground and guns firing, but they're squabbling over something. And our own country is pulled apart the scenes. People are fighting because of race. People are fighting because of religion. People are fighting because of political affiliation. They're fighting over everything. But a day is going to come after a time of tribulation that Christ will return to earth, set up His millennial kingdom, and we will see the world reconciled back to what it was designed to be to begin with. Now we know it's not going to last forever, but we're not going to get into all that tonight. We'll have an uprising of Satan. All will take place after the thousand years. But when we look at that, when we see Christ returning there, fulfilling and setting up His millennial kingdom, He gives us several things. He establishes that throne of David. He, he establishes the rule and reign that the nation of Israel is reconciled back to Him. They are saved universally. So many things of God's prophecy all comes to be fulfilled and passed. And all this comes because of Christ being victorious over all the things that the devil throws at Him. You see, time and time again, we've said before, we are the devil's greatest cheerleaders. 
But yes, we see the Spirit working here on earth. We see that man can overcome the devil through Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ, when He returns to earth, He will take control of the kingdom and put an end to the anarchy and misrule. He's not going to allow the Antichrist and the false prophet of King to wreak havoc. He's going to do away with them, set up His own kingdom. He'll be re, he will be men will be rewarded and given rest for their labors in God. Though we are laboring today, a time will come when Christ will reward us and we'll be allowed to rest and rule and reign with Him. We also see that as when all this takes place, He sits at this throne of David. All the failure of humanity, the revolt, and everything going against God will be finally brought to an end. It doesn't take a genius to see that the world is not a big fan of Jesus right now. They're not a big fan of His ways. They are teaching all kinds of uh, sinful things to our children and all kinds of horrible things in legislature and people are just completely not worried about what God's Word says. But that's going to end. Christ is going to put everything in order the way it ought to be to begin with. And man has perverted and mutilated. Verse 11 tells us, this is in whom also we have attained an inheritance. So not only have we received a millennium, not only have we received redemption, we receive an inheritance. Not only have we have received an inheritance uh, being predestined according to the purpose of Him who worketh all things after the counsel of His own will, that we should be to the praise of His glory who first trusted in Christ. Not only will we receive an inheritance, we will be an inheritance. I bet you never thought yourself as being a treasure or being an inheritance for someone else. I never saw myself as a possession, but that's what I am. I am God's inheritance. He views me as His treasure. I may be ugly as sin on earth. I may not be the smartest guy in the world. I may you know, be all these faults and fairies. However, when God looks at me, I am a prize to Him. He, I am the apple of His eye. He says that, that we are what He desires to have. He is a jealous God of us. The reason He's jealous of us is because He loves us. He treasures us. He wants to be with us. And that's why He takes care of us, provides for us. Because He thinks that highly of us. Verse 13 says that we receive the Holy Spirit. As in whom also ye also trusted after that ye heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, whom also after that ye believed ye were sealed with that Holy Spirit of promise. We receive the Holy Spirit which guarantees all these benefits. Only our one guarantee that we receive any of these things is we have the Spirit. There is no salvation without the Spirit. There is no Spirit without salvation. We receive one because of the other. It's God's down payment to us that we don't have the fullness of everything on earth, that we have a taste of heaven with the Spirit that is within us. We should be careful not to grieve the Spirit. When we sin, get out of the way of God, you can grieve the Spirit of God. That means the Spirit don't work like it's supposed to. That means the preaching of the Word doesn't affect you anymore. That means uh, you don't have a desire to prayer. Your, your prayer line is cut off because you've grieved the Spirit. Uh, that means your witness is damaged. Your testimony is damaged. You can't affect others any longer or lead them to Christ. All because you grieved the Spirit. And it can happen to any of It can happen to organizations. Churches can grieve the Spirit because we don't follow it. We're not obedient to it. Um, I believe nations, countries can grieve the Spirit uh, because that, that hand of safety, that blessing on the nation is removed because of rebellion and, and failure to accept God for what He is. 
Jesus is the sealer of the Spirit. That seal that is stamped on your heart, your soul was put there by Jesus Christ. The seal shows ownership. When you think about the old westerns, when, when they John Wayne them had cattle, they put a brand on its side. Well, you have a brand on your heart. The Bible talks about it as a circumcision. The Jews had circumcision of the flesh to mark them as a Jew. You have circumcision of the heart to mark you as a Christian. It shows that you are God's. No one else's. Buddha don't own you. Muhammad don't own you. The devil don't own you. God owns you. You are His. People can't take you away from Him. The Bible says no one can remove Him out of His hand. We are wholly His because of that seal that is placed there. When you think back to the, the kings and queens in medieval times when they had, when they had a, a sacred document that was recorded it said the king wanted his king to do this, this, and this. He had a seal, a stamp he placed on it. Well, that same seal is placed right here over the heart, over the doorpost of the heart, that blood that is placed there that shows you belong to God. And in verse 14, the final thing we receive is assurance of our salvation which is the earnest of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession unto the praise of His glory. You see, the Spirit guarantees our salvation. If you have the Spirit in you, no one can say you're not a child of God. Can't be done. It is completely a falsehood. There is nothing that can... I mean, it just goes against everything the Bible teaches us. It don't matter what. If I question you or your neighbor, your family questions you, if the Spirit is in there, you have been assured you are saved. The Spirit ensures that everything we have to come is going to come. The fact that I know I'm going to go up in the rapture is because I have the Spirit. It's not because I found an altar. It's not because I found a baptistry. It's not because I'm a basin or I'm a member of this church or even the pastor of this church. It's because I have the Spirit of God within me. That guarantees everything else the Bible has prophesied and promised to me. The Spirit guarantees that our possession is made complete. In other words, it will go on forever. If we notice the, the Spirit, it says here, it talks about that work goes on till the day of, of the Lord. It goes on until we are called home. That Spirit will forever be there. Now, if God is God, and in the Bible again tells us in Ephesians 1 again, 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 this is all for God's glory, is the whole purpose of this whole process, how much glory would it receive if He quit halfway through the work? And said, all right, I bought you. I started to work in you, but you've got on my nerves. I'm going to leave you now. That doesn't glorify God a whole lot. What glorifies God is He has taken an impossible task on. He has taken a bunch of people who don't want nothing to do with Him that enjoy sinning and changed them, molded them, and worked them to a vessel fit to carry the message. That gives God a whole lot of glory. When a man takes something, if you take a car that just someone says, man, they'll never run, they ain't never going to be worth nothing, and he fixes up, makes a show car out of it, that's a pretty, pretty prized progress there. When God takes us the same way and molds us and makes us into things, it shows us how awesome, how powerful, how mighty He is. The fact that I love when I, I run to someone from high school that I've not seen since high school, and they knew how I was in high school, when I didn't have a whole lot to do with God and wasn't even a big fan of God. When me and Mandy first met, she was a Christian, I was not, and she said, what do you think about God? And I said, well, I really don't think a lot about God. I just really ain't nothing I'm really interested in right now. I'm going to get to make a lot of money, and that's going to be my goal in life. Well, I didn't make a lot of money, but I did get God and got really interested in it. When I say those things, I don't glory in the fact that I was so wretched. I glory in the fact that I was so wretched and somehow God still made me what I am. 
And it's not because I was anything special. It's because, man, God was just determined. He was going to make me look basically like a fool in the end and make him look awesome because I was a fool. And now it shows his work in me that he has molded me and made me to someone who will sit and read this thing as long as the time will allow. And someone who, who has an interest in the things of God. Someone whose heart breaks for the lost. And someone who stays up late not praying, not because anything in, good in me, because the goodness of God that is in me. And I thank God for that. I thank God that He has 